to the panel on RNZ National. Paikete noho kia Good to be with you today. Now, the High Court has ruled the government's decision to allow British anti-gender activist Posey Parker into the country was lawful and dismissed Rainbow Community's attempt to block her entry into New Zealand. The judge said gender-diverse communities deserve protection, being particularly vulnerable to harm and discrimination. However, it is largely for technical and procedural reasons that the application for interim orders, in my view, must fail here, the judge said. On Thursday, uh, Minister Michael Wood said he condemned her, quote, inflammatory, vile and incorrect worldviews, unquote, but that decision sat with Immigration NZ, outgoing Executive Director of Auckland Pride, Max Tweedy, and Keen Minshul, A.K. Posey Parker, were on Morning Report today. Here is Max. Do you worry that what you're doing now is merely giving her the publicity that she clearly seeks? Well, I think that ship sailed after the Nazis showed up in Melbourne, Kim, and I think it's really important that, as a country that we stand up to really hateful belief and that, you know, when these kinds of things arrive on our shores, that we actually demonstrate our values. We beat the Nazis back in 1930s, 1940s, and I think it's really important that we as a community stand up to these kind of ideals and Nazi-aligned ideology. And here is Keen Minshew. Why do you think that a lot of your support comes from the extreme right wing? That's a disgusting question. Oh, I don't think there true. are any disgusting think, questions. I think, I think, I'm keen to know the answer, though. Why are you asking me a question and not let me finish? That is a preposterous thing to say. The majority of my support, I don't think men who believe in the far right, who, are, who call themselves Nazis, give an absolute stuff for women's rights. That's a preposterous thing to say and a really nasty thing to say, actually. And that's what happens when women stand up for our rights. Now, Dr. Eddie Clark wrote an interesting item on whether or not the standards applied are consistent. And Dr. Clark is a senior law lecturer at Victoria University of Wellington around issues of public law. Eddie Clark, kia ora. Kia ora. Are you surprised by the decision, Eddie? No. No, it's um, particularly in areas like immigration, uh, it's quite difficult to overturn uh, officials' decisions, particularly in a case like this where they actually have quite a lot of discretion. The judge said, and I read it in the introduction, you know, gender-diverse communities deserve protection, are particularly vulnerable to harm and discretion, and yet the dis- the, this, this decision let her in. Yeah, I, I think it could equally have gone the other way. That's the thing about um, this sort of no. decision. There is a really broad... The initial decision from officials or the minister choosing to intervene, what I think is odd about this situation is if they had decided initially to not let her in, I think we'd have a very similar result if Ken Minshall had tried to challenge being excluded. I think the judge would have said there's a lot of discretion here, maybe there's an arguable case, but for various reasons I won't overturn the minister's decision. So it really, the result of the court case isn't surprising. But I think that the minister and officials had a bit more leeway than they have been acting like they have. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Well, it's uh, that's interesting. So let's go around the panel on this, and uh, let's bring their questions, their thoughts on this. Show start with Victoria. Um, Dr. Clark, 
this is like just one of the many people who are travelling around the world um, peddling their hateful, vile, harmful um, thoughts. What do you think might happen when more of them try and come? Are we just going to end up in this situation where we're going to have to, you know, activists are going to have to take every single case to court? Or do you think the law needs to be hardened up in some way? Well, the law is actually really broad. If, if you read the criteria, the, this is about excluding people for non-criminal reasons, which is section, uh, section 16 of the Immigration Act. If the minister or the officials looking at this uh, have a reason to believe there is a risk to public safety, public order, or the public interest, and that's a really broad term, the public interest, they are supposed to not let someone into the country. So the law actually lets them act with quite a lot of freedom here. Whether we want them to is another question, because we saw this in the past that um, they decided that a rap group that had misogynistic lyrics and had um, some crowd control issues at a show um, where a policeman got a minor back injury, they decided that that was sufficient to ban uh, people from the country. Um, so in previous cases, a lower standard has been applied. Um, oh. and, and, and the inconsistency here, that was odd future back in, uh, I think, the 2014 mm. big, big yeah. day out. The inconsistency here, particularly because Immigration New Zealand hasn't been hugely forthcoming with their reasons, we got a bit more, I see, in this court case. There was a police assessment of uh, the public safety impact, um, but no discussion of that public interest criterion, which is one of the ones they could have relied on. And the treatment of odd future compared to Ms. King Minchell doesn't seem consistent. So at the very least, I think we're owed a better explanation from the minister and officials as to what they based their decision on. Okay, Simon. Eddie, I'm, like you, I'm, I'm puzzled by the apparent discrepancy between the odd future decision and this one, and also David Irving, um, who um, wanted to peddle his anti-Semitism here. Uh, he was banned too, I think. Now, he uh, was the deni- uh, historian that is the Holocaust denier, yes. yeah. and he came to suppose he wanted to present some lectures in New Zealand. That's right. Did yeah. he, was he barred or not? I, I can't, I can't quite recall. He may know, but I'm pretty sure he was barred. We'll check or find yeah, it out. Yep, yep, yep. It strikes me that the argument should surely turn in part on who you're trying to protect um, and that we have laws against um, stirring up hatred, um, stirring up potential for violence to protect the most vulnerable people in the community. Um, that's, that's the particular reason for having them. Um, and I would have thought transgender people absolutely qualify in that sense. Um, so, Eddie, is there a sense, do you think there's a sense in which we're, we're just not treating transgender rights seriously here? We understand anti-Semitism, we understand misogyny in the case of Odd Future, but transgender is a way to go before we're understanding it? Well, on the, on the first point, the, we don't have laws against stirring up hatred against uh, anyone except uh, on, a, on the basis of race. Uh, that's been a huge debate you can, you can over the last up, two or three years. I, I mean particularly in relation to violence. Against, yeah, but... <laughs> against other groups. Um, uh, on the point about... Fundamentally, I think it comes down to there is a school of thought among some people that transgender rights are not as important as the rights of racial minorities, of religious minorities, uh, even of gay and lesbian people. And I think that view is wrong, but I think the view is out there and people are not as full-throated in their defence of trans people's rights as they are uh, some other groups. 
So in terms of uh, the where um, Minister Wood stands, I just want to sort of uh, make clear, did the Minister of Immigration have the ability to ban Posey Parker regardless of Immigration NZ's advice? So what the Minister would have been worried about if he did that, if he was considering that and, and, and was then didn't do it, if you have no basis for the decision, then it would be overturned if, if, that, if Ms King Mitchell had challenged it. He could, though, have said, I'm not sure about this. Go back and give me more advice on this topic. I want to have a broader assessment. He was entitled, even though the initial decision was delegated to officials, to come in over the top of them and say, no, on the basis of the information you've given me, I disagree with your assessment. I think there is a risk to the public interest here. He absolutely could have done that. Uh, okay, because said, because there's obviously advice. going to be um, a, what do we call it? A good deal of controversy, a good deal of un, uh, there'll be a great upheaval at both her public appearances. Um, I imagine they're outside. They're they're um, they're desi- they seem to me they're designed to cause as much of an uproar as possible. Yeah, that's almost certainly going to happen, isn't it? Well, what what the judge. In the brief reasons we've got, we'll get more detailed written reasons later. But interestingly, he said that um, the claimants, the, the Rainbow Group, had actually met the threshold of proving an arguable case. That's what you have to do to get an interim order. Um, but there are other hurdles. And one of the other things you have to show is that you have a position to preserve between the interim hearing and when the substantive hearing is going to be. And he said, because the events were going to go ahead anyway, and people coming to rally about how much they dislike transgender people and how scary transgender people are. That was going to happen anyway. So there potentially wasn't a position to preserve because the dangerous things that the community was worried about were going to happen regardless at this point of whether she came into the country or not. However, at a very different scale, assumably. (laughs) Well, Uh, Well, I mean, no, because it's just her. Um, and, and if people were coming, were going to rally to that cause, they can all equally come without her there. Now, I understand, too, by the way, that historian David Irving was uh, banned uh, from coming yeah. to speak in New Zealand. Uh, Dr Clark, Kyoto, thank you for your time on this. Uh, that's uh, Eddie Clark, Senior Law Lecturer at Victoria University of Wellington. It is 19 past four, the panel... Now, this is the other big topic, I guess you could say, uh, in across this week. Yesterday we discussed National's New Education Strategy, an hour a day on reading, on writing, on maths, standardised twice-a-year testing of the basics, detailed reports to parents. The malaise of mediocrity must end, said Chris Luxon. The government is implementing its literacy, its own literacy and communication and math strategy, which aims to bring a greater focus uh, on uh, literacy and numeracy. And a part of this is what's known as structured literacy. And you are all quite interested in this, a potentially fundamental shift in the way Kiwi kids are taught to read and write. So uh, achievement in core subjects has declined. That's part of the reason why we are talking about this. And with us is Professor Bridget McNeil from the University of Canterbury and Better Start Literacy Program. Professor McNeil, welcome. 
Oh, kia ora. Thank you for that lovely welcome. No, thank you. Can you explain, because this is quite a, quite a bit of interest, otherwise perhaps you can correct me, known as phonics. Some might know this. What is it? What's structured literacy? Oh, thank you for that. Great question. Yes, a structured literacy approach is an approach to um, teaching early literacy, which really explicitly teaches those foundational skills that we know are so important um, for young children to learn how to read and how to write. If we're thinking about it in terms of differentiating what structured literacy might be compared um, to other approaches, um, it's around other approaches and more around just immersing children in um, literature rather than teaching the explicit skills that um, that underpin good reading. Um, so one of the approaches that I've helped co-develop to the Better Start Literacy approach is, an, is a way to implement structured literacy, not just for phonics, that's an important part right. of a structured okay. literacy approach, but also being able to explicitly teach other language skills that we know are so important for young children to get a great start to their reading. And there's scientific literature behind the fact that structured literacy is a robust model? A hundred percent. So one of those movements that's gained a lot of attention um, in the media, not just in New Zealand but internationally, is this movement called the science of reading. And that's been really around um, taking what we know um, from the research literature that's not new really, that, that basic knowledge about the importance of these cognitive foundations literacy has been um, in the hands of psychologists and researchers for quite some time and where we've had some difficulty is translating that knowledge into the classroom um, and ensuring that teachers are well supported so that they um, are aware about how to implement yeah. this approach really well. Okay, yeah, I, look, I, I'm no uh, stranger to it because uh, my little junior does uh, does this uh, at school so uh, he claps it out, t oh p top right and he finds it quite uh, quite easy uh, let's go around the panel on this and come back to you bridget victoria i i think that it's fantastic everything i've read about bridget's program is just amazing and as you've just said wallace it's obviously resonated well with your child cuz i remember really clearly for my children and even for myself i loved reading and then school kind of ruined my reading experience I guess at some point in time so that it became a chore. Is that right? So having to, um, so anything that can ignite young people's minds so that they continue to, they really get the bug and they love reading is really, really important. I understand that's quite key for it not to become a chore. Stay there, Simon first. When my kids were in primary school was the time when uh, the way in which mathematics or arithmetic was taught changed. It changed from what I had learned which was uh, doing long division sums and all those sorts of things, which uh, were difficult, but you had to have a piece of paper and you just you wrote it all out. Uh, changed to uh, a more intuitive style of thinking. If you wanted to multiply 397 by 6, you made it 400 by 6 and then div- and oh, took yeah. off some numbers, that kind of thing. That's one way to look at it. There were several other ways to look at it. You tried to intuit what would be an easy way to do it. I understood that, and one of my kids got it too and was very good at it and the other one didn't and what I saw from that was actually kids learn differently who didn't know that really yeah but kids do learn differently and so the idea there's only one way to do these things is a dangerous idea the idea that there is a simple solution to our educational problems is a vastly dangerous idea this is so complex yeah but to to quote Connor English yesterday We've got to get there. We've got to do well, something. We absolutely We've do. We've got to do but something. One of the problems we have is that 
you know, when I went to school, half the kids failed and the system was designed to fail half the kids at the school C level because the country didn't want to have too many overqualified people. It needed people. I recall that. Yeah, 50%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty simple and straightforward. It's not simple and straightforward now. And since that time, we believe that every kid should have the chance to do much better than that. Response, Bridget? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more that we want every child succeeding, especially with an area as fundamental as literacy. Um, we, you know, we just had that discussion around, you know, igniting that joy and that love of reading. Well, if we can't lift the word off the page, then it's going to be really, really difficult mm. to create that joy and that love of, of reading first and then of learning. And absolutely, you know, there's multi-factors that, that come into play in terms of determining how um, how a child will learn to read. And we know that there's ecological factors um, at play as well as teaching approaches. But we have to be really clear about what we can lever really well. And we do have such great evidence about supporting teachers through something like the Better Start Literacy Approach to be able to adapt to the learner in the moment and to be able to provide that next step in teaching based on evidence before them to ensure that we have all children succeeding and, and no one really left behind. Very good, Bridget Cure. Thank you for your time. That's Bridget uh, Neil from McNeil rather from Canterbury University. And, and it's back to that joy. It's back to actually just sitting down with your little uh, daughter or son and just enjoying that book. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Brief response, we've got to move on. I'm sorry, I do have something else to say about this. And that is that I... um, I, I said before I was worried about uh, people having simplistic solutions. It is absolutely obvious that kids need to be assessed where they're going and that assessment should should then inform the next levels of learning and all the rest of it. But we can't expect schools to solve all the major structural problems in society and yet somehow we do Good come back to that. Poverty is an enormous issue in this. Yeah. Kia ora, Simon. Uh, no, uh, 26 past four. Now, I was thinking uh, as I was... Uh, Coming to work, we discuss daily many negative aspects about New Zealand, and rightly, child poverty, social cohesion, cost of housing. But as I was on the bus, I thought, what's good about living here? Small things like the colour of your leaves or a great local panel better. What is one positive thing that you can give to me? What's just one? There must be something good about living in Aotearoa. Here's one. Next is the smell of fresh air. Walking between the international and domestic terminal at Auckland Airport. You see, isn't That's that going to great? Is, oh. <laughs> like building a new terminal for both services. Simon Downer Wilson. <laughs> oh. That's not my idea. <laughs> I don't want well, a bigger airport. Let's just raise the joy. With <laughs> us is the one and only Amanda who's got something special about Aotearoa. Kia ora, Amanda. Kia ora. Hi. So, what <laughs> is it? Um, well, a bit random, but today we heard the Mr. Whippy van and I bought two Mr. Whippies. And you didn't see? ask what they're made of, right? Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, for God's sake. For Stop God's it. sake. Who cares? The woman, Amanda bought two Mr. No, Whippies. joy to the children. Only one for me. I yep. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Because it sometimes is about those small things, don't you agree, Amanda? It's actually sort of lifting your head from the gloom and doom and saying, this is where we live. Yep, it was amazing. It was really good. I loved the music, um, wandering up the driveway, talking to the the nice man who's, you know, running a small business Yep, and um, asking him about his day. Amanda, I love that you said only one of them was for you, one ice cream for you. I <laughs> yeah, think we assumed that. 
<laughs> I insisted my husband have one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I love it, Amanda. Thank you for that. Kia ora. Um, here's another one. Uh, small things I love. People say hi when you walk past on a walking track. Totally and, agree. I yes. just went walking. There were German tourists, not picking on Germans particularly, but they don't. <laughs> they're pretty bullshit. They don't say hi when you walk past them. And yet you come across in New Zealand, what do they say? G'day, kia ora, what have you. Is that right, Victoria? Or there's the little head tilt. That's the other little one. Little head tilt, that's yeah. right. Uh, some more here. The credit of a week existent that is loved. Um, uh, I spent a couple of weeks camping in Wanaka and most evenings talked to travellers from around the world to a person they were envious of New Zealand. Obviously scenic comments, but also food, fuel prices, quality of government. Many older folk wish they had emigrated when younger. Maybe the rest of the world has problems, but perhaps we do have something going for us. What's one from you, uh, Simon? Well, I like the fact that most of our motorways now are planted with natives. And I believe believe Tipanera Regan was behind that initiative. Um, I'm not sure about that, but I have have heard him say that or heard that. Um, And if you think about the new motorways that get developed, um, I'm not a great fan of motorways, but I am certainly a fan of the planting around them. They're going to be just wonderful in in, uh, decades to come. And having said that, although that's natives, um, the roundabout just south of T-Rail, which has two enormous oak trees and an obelisk, uh, is just one of my favourite places in this country. Those trees, that roundabout, as a piece of roading design, there you are. I love it. Loving a bit of roading design. Into your roads. Who would have thought, Simon? (laughs) Who would have thought? Uh, And you know what? I, I just love your little New Zealand thought because I too have um, talked to my uh, wife, Tabitha, going down the Hamilton Expressway and saying, you know what I love about this? It's the planting. Mm. It's just fantastic. Victoria? Oh, I have two. I just went to see Grandma in Riverton and took her out for cheese rolls in the cafe, which she's been (laughs) doing for 90 years. So cheese rolls. But then my other one, I guess, is similar is just how much we value green spaces. And no matter where you are, even in the middle of Auckland City or Wellington City or Hamilton, you can walk not more than a few hundred metres and be in a green space and just get that sense of nature and outdoors, even if it's just into a park or a playing field. Could be a bit more in Wellington, eh? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> we love our town belt here. Love, yeah, yeah, um, town belt's fantastic. That's and true. it's not far. You just walk a couple of hundred metres and you're in the town belt. And so that's many fantastic. cities around the world have forgotten about green space. Oh, so many wonderful ones. Almost all of our beaches are public, uh, says Scott in Dunedin. Uh, what What do I love about Aotearoa, says Pete from The Point? Radio New Zealand. There you go. <laughs> hey, thank you, Pete. Uh, another one, our bus drivers. We love our bus drivers. And here's one from me. For some reason, I don't know why, I want to get to the bottom of this. In Blockhouse Bay, they've never got rid of their sparkly lights. They put them up at Christmas, and they're there all the year round. And I go into the bay, and there's little blue spike lights meeting me, and it brings me joy. It makes you really special, doesn't it? You know, I'm not sure in what sense, but it clearly does make you special. Oh, clearly. Uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National.